0: chapter thirty of campaigning with grant by horace porter this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter thirty grant's ride to appomattox how lee reached mclean's house meeting between grant and lee brief discussion as to the terms of surrender drafting the terms and the acceptance grant's consideration for the confederate privates rations for the paroled army it was proposed to the general to ride during the day in a covered ambulance which was at hand instead of on horseback so as to avoid the intense heat of the sun but his soldierly instincts rebelled against such a proposition and he soon after mounted cincinnati and started from Kurdsville toward new store from this point he went by way of a crossroad to the south side of the appomattox with the intention of moving around to sheridan's front while riding along the wagon road which runs from farmville to appomattox court house at a point eight or nine miles east of the latter place general charles e pease of meadstaff overtook him with a dispatch it was found to be a reply from lee which had been sent into our lines on humphrey's front it read as follows april ninth eighteen sixty five general i received your note of this morning on the picket line whither i had come to meet you and ascertain definitely what terms were embraced in your proposal of yesterday with reference to the surrender of this army i now request an interview in accordance with the offer contained in your letter of yesterday for that purpose very respectfully your obedient servant r e lee general lieutenant general u s grant commanding u s armies pease also brought a note from meade saying that at lee's request he had read the communication addressed to grant and in consequence of it had granted a short truce the general as soon as he had read these letters dismounted sat down on the grassy bank by the roadside and wrote the following reply to lee april ninth eighteen sixty five general r e lee commanding c s army your note of this date is but this moment 1150 a.m received in consequence of my having passed from the richmond and lynchburg road to the farmville and lynchburg road i am at this writing about four miles west of walker's church and will push forward to the front for the purpose of meeting you notice sent to me on this road where you wish the interview to take place will meet me very respectfully your obedient servant u s grant lieutenant-general he handed this to colonel babcock of the staff with directions to take it to general lee by the most direct route mounting his horse again the general rode on at a trot toward appomattox court house when five or six miles from the town colonel newell sheridan's adjutant-general came riding up from the direction of appomattox and handed the general a communication this proved to be a duplicate of the letter from lee that lieutenant pease had brought in from meade's lines lee was so closely pressed that he was anxious to communicate with grant by the most direct means and as he could not tell with which column grant was moving he sent in one copy of his letter on meade's front and one on sheridan's colonel newhall joined our party and after a few minutes halt to read the letter we continued our ride toward appomattox on the march i had asked the general several times how he felt to the same question now he replied the pain in my head seemed to leave me the moment i got lee's letter the road was filled with men animals and wagons and to avoid these and shorten the distance we turned slightly to the right and began to cut across lots but before going far we spied men conspicuous in gray and it was seen that we were moving toward the enemy's left flank and that a short ride farther would take us into his lines it looked for a moment as if a very awkward condition of things might possibly arise and grant become a prisoner in lee's lines instead of lee in his such a circumstance would have given rise to an important cross country in the system of campaign bookkeeping. There was only one remedy to retrace our steps and strike the right road, which was done without serious discussion. About one o'clock, the little village of Appomattox Courthouse, with its half dozen houses, came in sight, and soon we were entering its single street. It is situated on rising ground, and beyond it, the country slopes down into a broad valley the enemy was seen with his columns and wagon-trains covering the low ground our cavalry the fifth corps and part of ord's command were occupying the high ground to the south and west of the enemy heading him off completely we saw a group of officers who had dismounted and were standing at the edge of the town and at their head we soon recognized the features of sheridan no one could look at sheridan at such a moment without a sentiment of undisguised admiration in this campaign as in others he had shown himself possessed of military traits of the highest order bold in conception self-reliant demonstrating by his acts that much danger makes great hearts most resolute fertile in resources combining the restlessness of a hotspur with the patience of a fabius it is no wonder that he should have been looked upon as the wizard of the battlefield generous of his life gifted with the ingenuity of a hannibal the dash of a marat the courage of a ney the magnetism of his presence roused his troops to deeds of individual heroism and his unconquerable columns rushed to victory with all the confidence of caesar's tenth legion wherever blows fell thickest there was his crest despite the valour of the defence opposing ranks went down before the fierceness of his onsets never to rise again and he would not pause till the folds of his banners waved above the strongholds he had wrested from the foe brave sheridan i can almost see him now his silent clay again quickened into life once more riding rienzi through a fire of hell leaping opposing earthworks at a single bound and leaving nothing of those who barred his way except the fragments scattered in his path as long as manly courage is talked of or heroic deeds are honored the hearts of a grateful people will beat responsive to the mention of the talismanic name of sheridan ord and others were standing in the group before us and as our party came up general grant greeted the officers and said how are you sheridan first-rate thank you how are you cried sheridan with a voice and look which seemed to indicate that on his part he was having things all his own way is lee over there asked grant pointing up the road having heard a rumor that lee was in that vicinity yes he is in that brick house waiting to surrender to you answered sheridan well then we'll go over said grant the general-in-chief now rode on accompanied by sheridan ord and others soon colonel babcock's orderly was seen sitting on his horse in the street in front of a two-story brick house better in appearance than the rest of the houses he said general lee and colonel babcock had gone into this house half an hour before and he was ordered to post himself in the street and keep a lookout for general grant so as to let him know where general lee was babcock told me afterward that in carrying general grant's last letter he passed through the enemy's lines and found general lee a little more than half a mile beyond appomattox court house he was lying down by the roadside on a blanket which had been spread over a few fence rails placed on the ground under an apple tree which was part of an old orchard this circumstance furnished the only ground for the widespread report that the surrender occurred under an apple tree and which has been repeated in song and story there may be said of that statement what cuvier said of the french academy's definition of a crab brilliant but not correct babcock dismounted upon coming near and as he approached lee sat up with his feet hanging over the roadside embankment the wheels of wagons in passing along the road had cut away the earth of this embankment and left the roots of the trees projecting lee's feet were partly resting on these roots colonel charles marshall his military secretary came forward took the dispatch which babcock handed him and gave it to general lee after reading it the general rose and said he would ride forward on the road on which babcock had come but was apprehensive that hostilities might begin in the meantime upon the termination of the temporary truce and asked babcock to write a line to meade informing him of the situation babcock wrote accordingly requesting meade to maintain the truce until positive orders from grant could be received to save time it was arranged that a union officer accompanied by one of lee's officers should carry this letter through the enemy's lines this route made the distance to meade nearly ten miles shorter than by the roundabout way of the union lines lee now mounted his horse and directed colonel marshall to accompany him they started for appomattox court house in company with babcock followed by a mounted orderly when the party reached the village they met one of its residents named wilmer mclean who was told that general lee wished to occupy a convenient room in some house in the town mclean ushered them into the sitting-room of one of the first houses he came to but upon looking about and seeing that it was small and unfurnished lee proposed finding something more commodious and better fitted for the occasion mclean then conducted the party to his own house about the best one in the town where they awaited general grant's arrival the house had a comfortable wooden porch with seven steps leading up to it a hall ran through the middle from front to back and upon each side was a room having two windows one in front and one in rear each room had two doors opening into the hall the building stood a little distance back from the street with a yard in front and to the left on entering was a gate for carriages and a roadway running to a stable in rear we entered the grounds by this gate and dismounted in the yard were seen a fine large gray horse which proved to be general lee's favorite animal named traveler and a good-looking dark-colored mare belonging to colonel marshall an orderly in gray was in charge of them and had taken off their bridles to let them crop the grass general grant mounted the steps and entered the house as he stepped into the hall colonel babcock who had seen his approach from the window opened the door of the room on the left in which he had been sitting with general lee and colonel marshall awaiting general grant's arrival the general passed in and as lee arose and stepped forward grant extended his hand saying general lee and the two shook hands cordially the members of the staff general sheridan and ord and some other general officers who had gathered in the front yard remained outside feeling that general grant would probably prefer his first interview with general lee to be in a measure private in a few minutes colonel babcock came to the front door and making a motion with his hat toward the sitting-room said the general says come in it was then about half past one on Sunday, the ninth of April. We entered and found General Grant seated in an old office armchair in the center of the room, and Lee sitting in a plain armchair with a cane seat beside a square marble topped table near the front window, in the corner opposite the door by which we entered, and facing General Grant colonel marshall was standing at his left with his right elbow resting upon the mantelpiece we walked in softly and ranged ourselves quietly about the sides of the room very much as people enter a sick chamber when they expect to find the patient dangerously ill some found seats on the sofa standing against the wall between the two doors and on the few plain chairs which constituted the furniture but most of the party stood the contrast between the two commanders was singularly striking and could not fail to attract marked attention as they sat six or eight feet apart facing each other general grant then nearly forty-three years of age was five feet eight inches in height with shoulders slightly stooped his hair and full beard were nut-brown without a trace of gray in them He had on his single-breasted blouse of dark blue flannel, unbuttoned in front and showing a waistcoat underneath. He wore an ordinary pair of top boots, with his trousers inside, and was without spurs. The boots and portions of his clothes were spattered with mud. He had worn a pair of thread gloves of a dark yellow color, which he had taken off on entering the room. His felt sugar-loaf, stiff brimmed hat, was resting on his lap he had no sword or sash and a pair of shoulder straps was all there was about him to designate his rank in fact aside from these his uniform was that of a private soldier lee on the other hand was six feet and one inch in height and erect for one of his age for he was grant senior by sixteen years his hair and full beard were a silver gray and thick except that the hair had become a little thin in front he wore a new uniform of confederate gray buttoned to the throat and a handsome sword and sash the sword was of exceedingly fine workmanship and the hilt was studded with jewels it had been presented to him by some ladies in england who sympathized with the cause he represented his top boots were comparatively new and had on them near the top some ornamental stitching of red silk like his uniform they were clean on the boots were handsome spurs with large rowels a felt hat which in colour matched pretty closely that of his uniform and a pair of long grey buckskin gauntlets lay beside him on the table we endeavoured afterward to learn how it was that he wore such fine clothes and looked so much as if he had turned out to go to church that sunday afternoon while with us our outward garb scarcely rose to the dignity even of the shabby genteel one explanation was that when his headquarters wagons had been pressed so closely by our cavalry a few days before it was found that his officers would have to destroy all their baggage except the clothes they carried on their backs and each one naturally selected the newest suit he had and sought to propitiate the god of destruction by a sacrifice of his second best another reason given was that in deference to general grant general lee had dressed himself with special care for the purpose of the meeting grant began the conversation by saying i met you once before general lee while we were serving in mexico when you came over from general scott's headquarters to visit garland's brigade to which i then belonged i have always remembered your appearance and i think i should have recognized you anywhere yes replied general lee i know i met you on that occasion and i have often thought of it and tried to recollect how you looked but i have never been able to recall a single feature after some further mention of mexico general lee said i suppose general grant that the object of our present meeting is fully understood i asked to see you to ascertain upon what terms you would receive the surrender of my army general grant replied the terms i propose are those stated substantially in my letter of yesterday that is the officers and men surrendered to be paroled and disqualified from taking up arms again until properly exchanged and all arms ammunition and supplies to be delivered up as captured property lee nodded an assent and said those are about the conditions which i expected would be proposed general grant then continued yes i think our correspondence indicated pretty clearly the action that would be taken at our meeting and i hope it may lead to a general suspension of hostilities and be the means of preventing any further loss of life lee inclined his head as indicating his accord with this wish and general grant then went on to talk at some length in a very pleasant vein about the prospects of peace lee was evidently anxious to proceed to the formal work of the surrender and he brought the subject up again by saying, "'I presume, General Grant, "'we have both carefully considered "'the proper steps to be taken, "'and I would suggest that you commit to writing "'the terms you have proposed "'so that they may be formally acted upon.' "'Very well,' replied Grant, "'I will write them out.' "'And calling for his manifold order-book, "'he opened it, "'laid it on a small oval wooden table "'which Colonel Parker brought to him "'from the rear of the room, "'and proceeded to write the terms.' the leaves had been so prepared that three impressions of the writing were made he wrote very rapidly and did not pause until he had finished the sentence ending with officers appointed by me to receive them then he looked toward lee and his eyes seemed to be resting on the handsome sword that hung at that officer's side he said afterward that this set him to thinking that it would be an unnecessary humiliation to require the officers to surrender their swords and a great hardship to deprive them of their personal baggage and horses and after a short pause he wrote the sentence this will not embrace the side-arms of the officers nor their private horses or baggage when he had finished the letter he called colonel parker to his side and looked it over with him and directed him as they went along to interline six or seven words and to strike out the word there which had been repeated when this had been done the general took the manifold writer in his right hand extended his arm toward lee and started to rise from his chair to hand the book to him as I was standing equally distant from them with my back to the front window, I stepped forward, took the book, and passed it to General Lee. The terms were as follows Appomattox Court House, Virginia, April 9, 1865. General R. E. Lee, commanding C. S. A. General, in accordance with the substance of my letter to you of the eighth instant, I propose to receive the surrender of the Army of Northern Virginia on the following terms to wit, roles of all the officers and men to be made in duplicate one copy to be given to an officer to be designated by me, the other to be retained by such officer or officers as you may designate, the officers to give their individual paroles not to take up arms against the government of the United States until properly exchanged, and each company or regimental commander to sign a like parole for the men of their commands, the arms, artillery, and public property to be parked and stacked and turned over to the officers appointed by me to receive them this will not embrace the side-arms of the officers nor their private horses or baggage this done each officer and man will be allowed to return to his home not to be disturbed by the united states authorities so long as they observe their paroles and the laws in force where they may reside very respectfully u s grant lieutenant general lee pushed aside some books and two brass candlesticks which were on the table then took the book and laid it down before him while he drew from his pocket a pair of steel-rimmed spectacles and wiped the glasses carefully with his handkerchief he crossed his legs adjusted the spectacles very slowly and deliberately took up the draft of the terms and proceeded to read them attentively they consisted of two pages when he reached the top line of the second page he looked up and said to general grant after the words until properly the word exchanged seems to be omitted you doubtless intended to use that word why yes said grant i thought i had put in the word exchanged i presumed it had been omitted inadvertently continued lee and with your permission i will mark where it should be inserted certainly grant replied lee felt in his pocket as if searching for a pencil but he did not seem to be able to find one seeing this i handed him my lead pencil during the rest of the interview he kept twirling this pencil in his fingers and occasionally tapping the top of the table with it when he handed it back it was carefully treasured by me as a memento of the occasion when lee came to the sentence about the officer's side-arms private horses and baggage He showed for the first time during the reading of the letter a slight change of countenance and was evidently touched by this act of generosity it was doubtless the condition mentioned to which he particularly alluded when he looked toward general grant as he finished reading and said with some degree of warmth in his manner this will have a very happy effect upon my army general grant then said unless you have some suggestions to make in regard to the form in which i have stated the terms i will have a copy of the letter made in ink and sign it there is one thing i should like to mention lee replied after a short pause the cavalrymen and artilleries own their own horses in our army its organization in this respect differs from that of the united states this expression attracted the notice of our officers present as showing how firmly the conviction was grounded in his mind that we were two distinct countries he continued i should like to understand whether these men will be permitted to retain their horses you will find that the terms as written do not allow this general grant replied only the officers are permitted to take their private property lee read over the second page of the letter again and then said no i see the terms do not allow it that is clear his face showed plainly that he was quite anxious to have this concession made and grant said very promptly and without giving lee time to make a direct request well the subject is quite new to me of course i did not know that any private soldiers owned their animals but i think we have fought the last battle of the war i sincerely hope so and that the surrender of this army will be followed soon by that of all the others and i take it that most of the men in the ranks are small farmers and as the country has been so raided by the two armies it is doubtful whether they will be able to put in a crop to carry themselves and their families through the next winter without the aid of the horses they are now riding and i will arrange it in this way i will not change the terms as now written but i will instruct the officers i shall appoint to receive the paroles to let all the men who claim to own a horse or mule take the animals home with them to work their little farms this expression has been quoted in various forms and has been the subject of some dispute i give the exact words used lee now looked greatly relieved and though anything but a demonstrative man he gave every evidence of his appreciation of this concession and said this will have the best possible effect upon the men it will be very gratifying and will do much toward conciliating our people he handed the draft of the terms back to general grant who called colonel t s bowers of the staff to him and directed him to make a copy in ink bowers was a little nervous and he turned the matter over to colonel parker whose handwriting presented a better appearance than that of any one else on the staff parker sat down to write at the oval table which he had moved again to the rear of the room wilmer mclean's domestic resources in the way of ink now became the subject of a searching investigation but it was found that the contents of the conical-shaped stoneware inkstand with a paper stopper which he produced appeared to be participating in the general breaking up and had disappeared colonel marshall now came to the rescue and took from his pocket a small boxwood inkstand which was put at parker's service so that after all we had to fall back upon the resources of the enemy to furnish the stage properties for the final scene in the memorable military drama colonel marshall then took a seat on the sofa beside sheridan and ingalls when the terms had been copied lee directed his military secretary to draw up for his signature a letter of acceptance colonel marshall wrote out a draft of such a letter making it formal beginning with i have the honor to acknowledge etc general lee took it and after reading it over very carefully directed that these formal expressions be stricken out and that the letter be otherwise shortened he afterwards went over it again and seemed to change some words and then told the colonel to make a final copy in ink when it came to providing the paper it was found that we had the only supply of that important ingredient in the recipe for surrendering an army so we gave a few pages to the colonel the letter when completed read as follows headquarters army of northern virginia april ninth eighteen sixty five general i have received your letter of this date containing the terms of the surrender of the army of northern virginia as proposed by you as they are substantially the same as those expressed in your letter of the eighth instant they are accepted i will proceed to designate the proper officers to carry the stipulations into effect very respectfully your obedient servant r e lee general lieutenant-general u s grant commanding armies of the u s while the letters were being copied general grant introduced the general officers who had entered and each member of the staff to general lee the general shook hands with general seth williams who had been his adjutant when lee was superintendent at west point some years before the war and gave his hand to some of the other officers who had extended theirs but to most of those who were introduced he merely bowed in a dignified and formal manner he did not exhibit the slightest change of features during this ceremony until colonel parker of our staff was presented to him parker being a full-blooded indian when lee saw his swarthy features he looked at him with evident surprise and his eyes rested on him for several seconds what was passing in his mind no one knew but the natural surmise was that he at first mistook parker for a negro and was struck with astonishment to find that the commander of the union armies had one of that race on his personal staff lee did not utter a word while the introductions were going on except to seth williams with whom he talked cordially williams at one time referred in a rather jocose manner to a circumstance which had occurred during their former service together as if he wished to say something in a good-natured way to thaw the frigidity of the conversation but lee was in no mood for pleasantries and he did not unbend or even relax the fixed sternness of his features his only response to the remark was a slight inclination of the head general lee now took the initiative again in leading the conversation back into business channels he said i have a thousand or more of your men as prisoners general grant a number of them officers whom we have required to march along with us for several days i shall be glad to send them into your lines as soon as it can be arranged for i have no provisions for them i have indeed nothing for my own men they have been living for the last few days principally upon parched corn and we are badly in need of both rations and forage i telegraphed to lynchburg directing several trainloads of rations to be sent on by rail from there and when they arrive i should be glad to have the present wants of my men supplied from them at this remark all eyes turned toward sheridan for he had captured these trains with his cavalry the night before near appomattox station general grant replied i should like to have our men sent within our lines as soon as possible i will take steps at once to have your army supplied with rations but i am sorry to have no forage for the animals we have had to depend upon the country for our supply of forage of about how many men does your present force consist indeed i am not able to say lee answered after a slight pause my losses in killed and wounded have been exceedingly heavy and besides there have been many stragglers and some deserters all my reports and public papers and indeed some of my own private letters had to be destroyed on the march to prevent them from falling into the hands of your people many companies are entirely without officers and i have not seen any returns for several days so that i have no means of ascertaining our present strength general grant had taken great pains to have a daily estimate made of the enemy's forces from all the data that could be obtained and judging it to be about twenty-five thousand at that time he said suppose i send over twenty-five thousand rations do you think that will be a sufficient supply i think it will be ample replied lee and added with considerable earnestness of manner and it will be a great relief i assure you general grant now turned to his chief commissary colonel m r morgan who was present and directed him to arrange for issuing the rations the number of officers and men surrendered was over twenty-eight thousand as to general grant's supplies he had ordered the army on starting out to carry twelve days rations this was the twelfth and last day of the campaign grant's eye now fell upon lee's sword again and it seemed to remind him of the absence of his own and by way of explanation and so that it could not be construed as a discourtesy he said to lee i started out from my camp several days ago without my sword and as i have not seen my headquarters baggage since i have been riding about without any side-arms i have generally worn a sword however as little as possible only during the active operations of a campaign i am in the habit of wearing mine most of the time remarked lee when i am among my troops moving about through the army general sheridan now stepped up to general lee and said that when he discovered some of the confederate troops in motion during the morning which seemed to be a violation of the truce he had sent him lee a couple of notes protesting against this act and as he had not had time to copy them he would like to have them long enough to make copies lee took the notes out of the breast-pocket of his coat and handed them to sheridan with a few words expressive of regret that the circumstances should have occurred and intimating that it must have been the result of some misunderstanding after a little general conversation had been indulged in by those present the two letters were signed grant signed the terms on the oval table which was moved up to him again for the purpose lee signed his letter of acceptance on the marble-topped table at which he sat colonel parker folded up the terms and gave them to colonel marshall marshall handed lee's acceptance to parker chapter thirty